Welcome to Sales Velocity TV, where we pull back the curtain on how the top businesses in the world sell more with less resistance. Bringing over 50 plus years of combined sales experience and over 100 million in revenue generated, please welcome the hosts of Sales Velocity TV and two incredibly entertaining gentlemen, Andrew Cass and Aaron Parkinson. Welcome to episode eight of Sales Velocity TV. I'm Andrew Cast. That's Aaron Parkinson, and we have a twist today. Can you hear me, okay, buddy? I can hear you, amazing. How's How it going, it? my man? Well, I'm I'm powered up. I'm feeling dangerous today. To quote it's Baker the, Mayfield, I've it's got the my Superman, Superman shirt. Got my Superman shirt on. I'm I'm sporting my New Orleans Saints cap. The the NFC leading New Orleans Saints. I might add even without their starting quarterback. Fair enough. So, you know, between the combo of the two, I'm not even sure if this show can hold me down today. Yeah, you got a lot going on today. I feel like you're playing the superstition game today. Superman on the chest, Saints on the head. It's like, where are we going with this? Are we trying to really just stack the deck in our favor where you take the NFC top team, you take Superman on the chest? I mean, what, what do you got for shoes today? You're wearing uh, Air I, Jordans? I, bro, <laughs> I, I live in the, in the Caribbean. I've got no shoes. No I never shoes. have shoes. Sandals it's, it's, like me, right? It's not going to happen. I just feel like I am on the fast. Fast lane to victory town. That's that's what I'm talking Fair about. Fair enough. Whatever. Hey, listen, you have to rig the deck in your favor to be hyper productive and to perform these days, whatever it takes. I mean, if you think about professional athletes and the stuff that they do to rig the deck in their favor, whether it's luck or just putting themselves like Tony Robbins, Tony Robbins. If you've ever like dug into what Tony Robbins does, he has these anchors. That when he takes the stage, he has these things he does that, to give him like the amped up energy that he has. Have you ever watched? Have you ever seen the documentary "I'm Not Your Guru"? It was amazing. Which is which you know love Tony or hate him, he's obviously by far the the the, the biggest motivational you know business growth consultant of all time. He has hedge fund and managers and CEOs on. You know, they have them on million dollar a year retainers just to help them with their mindset and their performance. I mean, what does that tell you, right? But if you if you watch his documentary, he has these anchors that he does backstage so that when he takes the stage, he does these one of his things, if you he, he has this funny clap. It's almost like like we would clap like this, but he's like he has this like thing. Have you ever seen this like weird clap that he does? Yeah. That is an anchor of Tony Robbins. That is not the way he claps, but that form of clapping that he does immediately triggers in his brain. So he got in a really he's big on state. He got on a really good state. So when he was peaking somewhere in his performance, he said, okay, what, what physical thing can I do to anchor that feeling again and again and again? And it was that clap thing he does. So as he comes out on stage, he does that weird funky clap because what that does is it anchors in his brain that feeling he had when he created the anchor. The anchor gets created when you're at a peak state. Yeah, I mean, that could have been a whole topic of the show today. I have no idea why I even went into that tangent, but (laughs) it's your Saints hat and your Superman shirt that caused it. (laughs) Yeah, you know what? Hey, whatever helps, you know, inspire you to to chat. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, I remember when we first time I saw Brennan Bouchard when he hadn't really become large yet. It was actually at uh, an event. I think you were at that event with me, Andrew. It was Frank Kern and Brendan Bouchard and Jordan Belfort were at that event. Was that the one in L.A. that we went to? Yeah, San Diego, I believe. And um, he came out and started doing that same weird clap on the stage. You're like, why is he holding his hands this way, right? Yeah, and I was like, I knew right away. I'm like, that's Tony's clap. Yeah, he's 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 leveraging 
whatever Tony has taught him or is, is, you know, he's, he's, you know, analyzed or whatever. And I, I remember thinking, as soon as he came out on stage, I'm like, oh, he's doing Tony's clap. Interesting. Yep. Yep. Hey, listen, we have a good one today and, and a little bit of a deviation because we're, whenever you may be listening to this, we're, we're, we're heading into a new year, 2021 at the time of this, we're about two weeks out. So if you're listening to this in like 2023, 2024, just know that 2020 is the year that people probably want to get out of more than any other. So we're just going to give some frameworks today. Glad we can laugh about it. We're going to give some frameworks today on how to go into a new year with certain shifts in the way you present you and your business to the marketplace. And I think that today, a lot of business owners, um, it's a little fuzzy what they do, right? They're not very clear on the way they present their offer. And, and this leads to selling, right? They're not clear oftentimes on the way they present themselves, their offer, their brand, their company. And we're going to help you get that clarity here today with these seven rules for business prosperity in the new year. And I'm actually going to do something I've never done here in the studio, Aaron. I know a lot of people are listening by podcast to Sales Velocity Radio. But since we have the TV version here at the onset, I'm going to jump into these seven little triggers so that you can see them as we're talking about them. We'll go through. I'll show you what the seven are. We'll talk about each one. Then we'll recap it at the end. But this is something that... This was a, 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 I don't remember where I acquired this from, PDF, a report, uh, a guide that probably 10 years ago I saw, and I still come back to it. Do you, you have those things, Aaron, that whether it's a book or whether it's a course or even whether it's just a report, a, a digital PDF, whatever, an ebook, that sometimes there's things you just keep coming back to. Like one of the things I know that readers keep coming back to that like people that focus on success and, 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 and you know, business growth and whatnot, they tend to read, think and grow rich a lot. I see that come up a lot, right? That's like that staple book that I hear more than any other that entrepreneurs and business owners come back to and read again and again and again. This little framework that I have for you today, I come back to quite a bit with clients that maybe are stuck. Or even if I need to reposition or rebrand my offer. And we talked about branding and positioning in the last episode. So this could be a good segue here. Yeah, I think that, you know, everybody should have, you know, a, a file folder of things when they see them that inspire them that they keep on their desktop. I know I certainly do. You know, I, I spend significantly more time than you do in the ad side, um, you know, of, of the sales and marketing world. And anytime I see something that just stops me right in my tracks, I screenshot it, I throw it in a folder and I keep it there for inspiration, for creative ideas when we're moving forward. And you could almost have like an ads folder, a productivity mm -hmm. folder, you know, a fitness folder. A little swipe file, right? Yeah, like a swipe file and just, and just keep them there because success leaves clues. And when you see things that are working, you know, you, you want to make sure that you're saving them somewhere. Um, you know, for future reference when you're feeling stuck. Yeah, no doubt about it. And big lesson right there is storing these things in a place that you can come back to them, especially when it comes to ads, like you said, funnels, websites, things you see that are working in your marketplace or in the marketplace that, yeah, you want to come back to uh, time and time again. So this is one of them here. So let's look at this right now. Let me make sure this little fancy tech, first time I'm doing this fancy tech. Can we see that? Okay. Oh, look at that. Look at the fancy tech we're rolling today. So this, these are the seven rules. Right here, rule number one, define a clear message. Rule number two, target the right market. Rule number three, use the right direct response media. Rule number four, think like an entrepreneur. Rule number five, my favorite, create effective systems. Rule number six, get maximum value out of your day. Rule number seven, build a powerful support network. So let's unpack these, Aaron. Number one, defining a clear message. By far and away, the roadblock I see more than any other 
is a disconnect with the messaging when you're making an offer, whether it's online, whether it's in person, whether it's on a sales page. Like I was reading a sales page last night. This is two days ago, actually. It was like it's a real estate page or something. This guy was selling real estate coaching. And, and he kept going off into different tangents. I, I couldn't figure out what the offer was. The messaging kept changing, right? You ever see that where it's like they want to they wanna say 13 different things on one page, but really we want them to say one thing and one thing well so that it's really clear what that message is. So I immediately well, I, wasn't I, I, sure what I was requesting information on. Well, and I want everybody to write this down and keep it somewhere as maybe it's part of your next swipe file. It's something that someone said a decade ago when we started writing sales copy and it's so simple. And the quote is the confused mind says no, right? The confused mind says no. So what you're talking about in that particular real estate sales letter is you're trying to talk about a million different things, probably confused. talking way above your prospects, education level, their experience, you're trying to use fancy terms that are industry specific and jargon-esque. You know, all of those different things only defeat the ultimate purpose that you're looking to accomplish. When you're when you're creating your messaging, you know, another famous quote that I that stuck in my head forever is write all of your sales copy at a grade five level. Dumbing it down, right? Yeah. Simplifying. I shouldn't even say dumbing it down. It's simplifying, really, right? It's simplifying because the confused mind says no, you know, and, and when we talk about taking, um, you know, screenshots, swipe files, things to reference, it's funny that we brought that up this morning because last night when I was just scrolling through some stuff, I saw something that instantly I felt I need to grab it. And it, and it mm -hmm. correlates really well with what we're talking about today. It was actually from Digital Marketer and it said, how to position your product or service. Ask yourself these three questions first. Question number one. How is your product actually positioned in the marketplace? Number two, how does that positioning help differentiate you and set you apart in your industry? And number three, can people figure out easily what you sell and what problem you solve? Big so questions. Big questions. Big questions. And, and that we talked about auditing your stuff a couple weeks ago. You know, what is your big, bold promise? And is it easily understood by people within five seconds? And here's where all this leads to. This leads to unique selling proposition. So if you don't know what your unique selling proposition is in your business enterprise, you are absolutely killing your sales conversions. Because if people can't look at what it is that you offer and go, I get it. And man, that's a different twist on the thing that they could get from a million other people, right? There's competition in everything today. And it doesn't mean it's a bad thing. It just means you need to figure out a way to get the messaging in order to even this much slightly separate yourself from the competition. Just tiny little separations in, in, in what you say differently will allow you to attract so much more, right? We were having a conversation earlier this week about the sameness of offers, right? Like people come into a space and they want to copy what everybody else is doing. But really what you want to figure out is how can I show up a little differently than everybody else with a little bit of a different message? Because people are looking for new and enhanced. We're wired to want to see new and enhanced. So does your messaging have that new and enhanced feel to it? Or is it just plain Jane, same as everybody else? Me too, industry jargon. I'm going to copy the 10 people that are already doing it the way that I want to do it in the industry, but not really digging into where can I show up differently? And that's a biggie. And as you get yeah, into I mean, a new year, think about how can I show up differently in the new year? And, and it's funny that you bring that up because 
with one of our products, you know, we, we were talking with this person who's an expert in that space or whatever. And they were basically saying that they didn't like our messaging, you know, that we were putting into the marketplace. But then when we looked at the math, the math was showing that we were acquiring customers 20% or not 20%, 20 times cheaper than they were. And, I think I remember this conversation. <laughs> and, and they, they, they didn't, didn't, didn't think it fit like the norm and, and they couldn't quite wrap their head around it. And we were like, yeah, but that's because we don't want to fit the norm. We want to stand out and be different and tap into a different part of the psychology. And, you know, you, you may not agree with the messaging, but the reality is we're kicking your tail in cost per acquisition. I keep bringing up week after week after week, and we'll go to the next one here. I keep bringing up that company that I see on CNBC every day called Fisher Investments because they're the only financial services company on the planet Earth that does this form of marketing. And I think this is number three that we're going to get to where they don't advertise like any other financial firm that says, give us a call, request a prospectus, book a call with an advisor. They do free reports, free DVDs. You need to avoid these 99 blunders during retirement, like all value, value, content, content. We've talked so much about education-based marketing and information marketing as a, as a lead into a bigger audience and a lead into less resistance when selling. And I keep seeing that they're the only one doing it. So they figure out a way to get their messaging different and they show up totally differently. And they have more, they, they could sell leads to the whole industry, Aaron. That's how many leads they generate with that approach. So that's a biggie to have and, and some clearly, sort of a message that's different and shows up in a whole different light. And clearly from a math perspective, it's working because they're advertising it's on CNBC. Huge. That can't be cheap. And when you see it over and over and over and over and over again on CNBC, which is not cheap, right? Probably number one financial news channel in the world. And, they, and here's the thing. They keep showing up with different versions of that message too, which means now I know they're brilliant because they're not just one and done. They're now bringing out one every couple of months, but it all leads to the same place, which leads us to number two, which is target the right market, right? The messaging has to be spot on, but it can't be just spot on to everybody that has a pulse. So number two, target the right market. Another blunder we see is trying to be all things to all people. Everybody is your audience, right? So yeah, and this I, is I, kind I, of a niching conversation, I guess, to a degree. Well, it's a psychology conversation, and I always go back to Simon Sinek, who wrote Start With Why, who, who we worked with you know, about 10 years ago. And if you watch his Start With Why podcast, he, he, or his um, Start With Why um, YouTube video on TEDx, uh, he very clearly outlines the biology behind why people buy. And he very clearly states that your goal is not to sell to everybody. Your goal is to sell to people who believe what you believe. And when you put out what you believe into the marketplace, you reject the people that don't buy into your philosophy, but you create raving fans around people who do buy into your philosophy. And we talk about selling with less resistance. That's why it's so important to Make sure that your messaging is including what you believe about your industry, your offer, your company, your differentiator, so on and so forth. Yep. Yep. But this audience thing is big, right? There's, there's when you can carve out your offer to a, a, a specific market, then it starts to feel like it's, it's for them. 
right? When I see, when I see, um, you know, big marketing efforts that maybe are geared towards dentists or that are geared towards chiropractors or that are geared towards insurance agents, right? You can start to craft better, more relevant messaging when there is an audience in the mix. Now, some businesses, they are big, broad. They advertise to all business owners, let's say, right? So they don't always have the luxury of, ha of, of niching down to the right market. But it's something to think about as you go into a new year. Could I, could I create a better impact if I did have a specific market that I was dealing with versus a big, broad market? And oftentimes, I usually see big jumps with business owners when they do niche down if they've been stuck marketing broadly. Yeah, I mean, everybody, you know, people overestimate who wants their product, right? They, they dramatically overestimate. So they end up targeting a significantly larger audience, and then they have a hard time crafting their messaging because they're speaking to too many demographics, you know, multiple sexes, multiple backgrounds and, yeah. and then the, the, the messaging gets muddled and, and it's, it's, it's nowhere near as impactful. So you, you want to start with the smallest circle possible and really zone in the messaging on that circle. And then, you know, when you want to scale, you start going into circles that are a little bit larger and a little bit larger and a little bit larger, you know, because that there is another famous quote, you can get rich in a niche, right? If, if you Riches know it's just, Right. Riches and niches. Right. Like, you know, you're talking about Fisher Investments as example. And, and we have, you know, a few different financial um, publishing clients. Right. If you're out talking about gold and mining gold and, you know, the Federal Reserve and what's going on with the, the devaluation of cash and all of those things, you know, a prime example. And we've seen this with our with, with those particular clients they don't do particularly well marketing to the liberal, you know, half of the country, you know, because it's not in alignment with their beliefs, but they do extremely well marketing to the conservative side of the market because it's more in line with their beliefs. And then, you know, from there you niche it down again. Is it the conservative 20 year old? Not really, because they're not really thinking about, you know, uh, investing or retirement or, you know, what's going to happen to their kids. And then you start to niche it down even more. And, and you get into that sort of 45 to 65 range, you know, and then maybe you niche it down even more into, you know, people who have a net worth north of, you know, $500,000. And, and like the more the more, you, the more you keep chunking it down and subculturing yeah. it and yeah, absolutely. The more the more that you zone in on who your ideal audience is, the easier it is to speak directly to them with the messaging that resonates with them. And 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 you just become significantly more profitable because you're not wasting ad dollars serving it up to the wrong person. You also become a specialist in the niche, which people are looking for, right? So when you show up in a niche and you're the thing and you're doing it for that specific audience, right? I had uh, today's the 11th. So once a month, I have a, a private mastermind group come into my office. 10 years now, same group, seven, eight guys, all multi-million dollar business owners. It's a seven-figure mastermind group. You have to have seven figures in revenue to be in it. And it's the same core guys. And they're all in a specific niche, you know, I'm thinking about my good friend and one of my clients off and on who is in the, the home improvement niche and they've just seen year over year growth, especially this year with the, you know, the pandemic and the COVID thing, home improvement has skyrocketed because people are stuck at home, right? So I, 
Every one of them that sees that year over year growth, million, two million, keeps getting tacked on every single year. Another one dealing with plumbers, another one dealing with just patents and trademarks, right? Another one dealing with just insurance agents. They keep compounding their growth every year because they keep becoming year by year a bigger, more well-known specialist to that audience. Had they been big, broad in general, they might get the year over year growth, but they're not the heart surgeon or the knee surgeon who does that one thing really well and that they become known for. And that sometimes is a big paradigm shift for business owners that just want to, my product is for everybody. Everybody's my audience. Why would I want to be just for insurance agents or just plumbers, right? Well, I think it was Bruce Lee that said, I don't fear a man that knows a thousand techniques. I fear a man that practices the same technique a thousand times every single day. Perfectly put from a martial arts guy, right? I mean, that's exactly the approach, what you just said, right? That guy has mastered that one thing and he's pretty dangerous at that point. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you use the word specialist. You could also intertwine that with the word authority. Yeah. You know, use that word a lot is that, you know, one, when you sit in the same chair for a few years and you're constantly putting out content and the right messaging and targeting people and building awareness of you or your brand or whatever, just subconsciously you're, you're almost like depositing dollar bills into the bank account of somebody's subconscious. And eventually when they need you, when they decide to pull that trigger, you're the only one they can think they of. They see you everywhere. You're omnipresent speaking to that audience in multiple different medias, right? Yeah. And that's what we, it's one of the reasons why we did a show that not only is this TV live stream show that goes into our Facebook group, but that's just a small piece of it really to be able to get the multiplication effect of this then going onto YouTube and then it becoming chopped up into audio and on Apple, Google, Stitcher, Pandora, Amazon. You do one little, little show like this. And I just think I named seven different medias that it shows up in. That is tremendous awareness of your thing, right? And that's something you want to be thinking about as you go through this little framework here that we're doing, these seven rules to find your clear message, target the right market. Once you nail that piece, then the media, we say media, we mean what advertising platform? We say direct response media quite a bit, meaning where you can go direct to consumer, not big, broad advertising, but direct to consumer. Once you've nailed one and two, messaging is solid. I know who my market is. I know who I'm speaking to. Then the media, that will dictate the media. You might be advertising to doctors, but doctors might not go on Google looking for things, but they might be on Facebook because that's maybe where their practice is, right? So until you know who the market is, until you know what you're saying out there, then really that's what dictates where you should be advertising. People want to advertise, and this is your arena. You guys drive millions of dollars a month on your side in Facebook and Instagram ads. That's your specialty. I know you guys have other sources that you run traffic in, but if you look at Facebook and Instagram, would you agree that not every single offer is conducive to the Facebook and Instagram media? Uh, no question. I mean, it's the, it's but the very people want to be there no matter what, without what we just talked about. They just want to be there because it's cool. And because that's where people are. That's a really it, tough stretch. That's not a good strategy, man. It, you know what you should be everywhere, but where you're going to acquire the most customers at the cheapest cost is going to vary. Yeah. And and just to give an example to sort of support what you're saying, you know, we had a client in the cybersecurity space, right? The, the person who's going to invest $50,000 in cybersecurity infrastructure for their business is, is, is not likely to come from a Facebook ad. They're more likely to come from, 
a direct mail piece or you know a, a commercial run on CNN. We're, I mean, we're talking about CEOs that are yeah, it's you a know, more polished C-suite executive type offer, right? So that yeah. where where are those guys and gals hanging out, right? Exactly. They it, it might be good to support with awareness in those channels because you know maybe they're spending some time there or maybe they're their team members or their staff for spending some time there. And it's yeah. just, it's giving them more credibility. But when you actually get into the act, you know, the meat and potatoes, let's get you to contact us. Let's have a conversation about it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's going to come from more your, your LinkedIn, right. you know, your, your television, your, your direct mail piece, you know, something where they're living, right? You just got to think about who's the key decision maker, and where do they live? Where do you know, they congregate, it, right? Where are right. they hanging it, out? It, if you're doing but, but, an, but also, Aaron, one step further is where do they respond? So one, hanging right. out is one thing, but and that's the math that we'll tell you in time is where do they respond best? Where do they pay attention best? Right. And and it does does what you sell resonate in the channel that you're you're being in. YouTube is is another great one yeah. um, to be inside of. But you know, you could flip it the other way and say, okay, if I'm selling, you know, the, the, the Snuggie, you know, the giant, you know, blanket that you wear like a jacket on Which your you couch. you see on TV all day long, right? That infomercial. Right. Yeah. That's not going to sell well in LinkedIn or, uh, Good point. you know, uh, on CNN, you know, it's going to sell amazing on Facebook and Instagram because the primary demographic of Facebook and Instagram is females you know, and they're the buyers traditionally of that type of product, exactly. right? So it's, exactly. you can test them all and you should be omnipresent, but it's best to know where your, your, if you are really, really clear on who your target audience is, then you should already know from your research. Where are they? Where are they? Yeah. Where do they live? Where, where do they congregate? They? Yeah. Do they respond? And the, the other thing is online, offline, right? Do they, re and, and most people think everything is online and certainly it has become the case in 2020 for sure. But there is still a sizable amount of people who will respond better to an offline offer than they do on because they tend to trust it more because it's not just bunched in with everything else on the internet. Something lands in your mailbox, think in direct mail, right? And it's specific to you because you might be a doctor or an insurance person. They, they, they look at this different. I got one in the mail the other day. I keep getting from this one real estate group, Aaron, Every quarter or so, I get this big jumbo postcard in the mail in my office. They have my physical address. I think I bought something in the past, so naturally they have my physical address. I get this jumbo postcard about their next two-day workshop teaching real estate. And they go around the country, and whenever they're in Florida, since I'm a Florida guy, they will hit me with the big postcard. I'm not seeing any of their stuff online because I'm probably missing it because there's so much stuff online. So they get me in a vacuum when they go offline. And most people have completely discounted offline because we're so online today. And I would challenge you that there is a huge chunk of people you can pull offline to online that maybe never would have seen you at all online. Like I said, I've never seen their offer online, but when it comes to me in the mailbox, I tend, sometimes I'll go onto the website and see what they're up to. How are they positioning the offer? What is the workshop that they're doing? Are they going live or virtual due to the pandemic? I'll kind of spend five or 10 minutes dissecting it. You should do that too, right? When you see these offers that are out there all the time, there's a reason that they're out there all the time. And if they've gone offline, it's really interesting to dissect the, the amount of money and time they've put into an offline offer 
there's there's a reason why it might be it's probably working and I can tell you it's number one. I can tell you the the main reason why it's working is because they got the right messaging down that's connecting and connecting and connecting and connecting. So these three all are intertwined together, right? You'll figure out where the best media is for you if you take the time to get your messaging and your market right. Let's go to number four, which is a, a, a deviation now, like we're going off path now. I think the three could have been a conversation within themselves, but number four, think like an entrepreneur. What do we mean by think like an entrepreneur? I'll tell you what we mean. First and foremost, a lot of business owners get into business and they start thinking like CEOs, executives. They start thinking textbook. Entrepreneurs, I think, think a little bit more, they're more agile, they're more creative. And if they can figure out a way to run a business the way a business typically runs, but maintain an entrepreneurial edge, they maintain that agility and that creativeness. When businesses get too big and then they want to get too corporate and then they want to go away from some of the things we talk about here, which are grassroots, direct response style marketing, salesmanship, they start to get really boring and dull. And case in point, Apple did this. As soon as they wanted to go away from Mr. Entrepreneur, Mr. Creative Steve Jobs back in the day, everybody knows the Apple story. That business felt, they brought the guy from Pepsi in. Remember this, Aaron? You know the story? I forget his name. They're like, you know what? This guy, Steve Jobs, he's just a little too entrepreneurial. He's too creative. He's too loose. He's too artsy. He's too whatever. And he's just, we don't like this in our corporate culture. Meanwhile, Apple's making tons of money at this point, right? They kick him out of his own company. Boot him, bring the guy from Pepsi in. In one year's time, they lost so much money because they went away from the entrepreneurial thinking business that got them to where they are. They became a corporate C-suite, let's publicly traded shareholders call the shots type business. And it was a complete meltdown. It is one of the most interesting stories of removing entrepreneurship and creativity from the business because it's PC or politically correct and the shareholders feel more comfortable and... It was a total meltdown. Yeah, the, the, the biggest challenge I see when when people try to become too corporate and less entrepreneurial too quickly is they become slow and cumbersome. Um, yeah. too, too many cooks in the kitchen, too many I's being dotted and T's being crossed, not reacting fast enough to the marketplace, not reacting fast enough to the data telling what you, you should do next, not fast enough testing, you know, and and it's okay to have systems and infrastructure, those are important for scale, but you gotta make sure that, you know, in the place specifically where you're talking about your marketing and your sales, you've gotta have the ability to act quickly, process data, pivot, move, you know, and adjust. And and if you you get away from that, you're gonna quickly see your stuff fall into the same boring trap that everybody else is in. And like we said earlier, as an example, right, cost of everything starts to go up. Cost per acquisition, cost for, I mean, there's just a cost associated with not being an entrepreneurial thinking business, right? I mean, think about the best businesses in the world, right? You have favorite companies. I have favorite companies, right? You companies, let's name a few, right? I love Amazon. I think who doesn't love Amazon, right? For a long time, Whole Foods was one of my all-time favorite companies. They were the first player in the grocery space that did it, you know, organic, local, like clean, no chemicals, no pesticides, no steroids, none of that. And I loved that mission and I rode that for a long time and I still love that store. It's just, it's very, there's, there's less expensive options now for the same quality, but they were the first player in that space. And, you know, they got, again, there was a personality and an entrepreneur behind it, it was Richard Mackey, I think was the, the big CEO out of Austin, Texas there. And 
And they maintained that entrepreneurial edge for a long time. Why they were so successful, right? Well, they got away from it eventually, but they had it, right? They had that balance. I think that's the word I'm looking for. There's a balance of company corporate business slash do we have an entrepreneurial feel to it as well? Yeah, and, and one of my favorites is still Elon Musk with Tesla. And I think I've talked about this before, you know, where he's he, he, his, his shareholders are always freaking out with the things That's he's doing, the things he's saying, and, yeah. you know, so on and so forth. And I remember reading this, tw- this Twitter post from one of the big car makers said, like, they were going to take over the whole electric space within the next five years. And they were rolling out all this stuff. It, it was one of the big, big five car companies. Yeah. And, and he... He went and po- replied to their tweet, and all it said was, bring it, pussy. <laughs> <laughs> CEO. Now, listen, that's a entrepreneur, just tried and true, raw, a little bit raw, but yet CEO running some successful companies. It's. I think what we're trying to say is if you can find a way to balance the company getting big but maintaining the entrepreneurial playfulness, creativity, agility, you win every time. Yep. Soon as you get away from that, it's, it's, it's brutal. It gets dull, right? So there's, you know, there's that element too. Let's go to number five here. Create effective systems. As the, as the saying goes, systems will set you free. I've never seen a business thrive or scale that didn't have almost every component of the business built on systems. Heck, it's the reason why you and I said, hey, we're bringing sales and marketing software to the table two years ago, year and a half ago, whatever it was, with Pipeline Pro, our company, because we knew that the missing link for all the consulting and coaching and funnels and traffic and done-for-you services was, geez, if we could just bring the system with it, man, we could we could really fill not only our own needs, but certainly a lot of needs of clients as well, because we can build the funnels, we can make them convert all day long, we can get the traffic and make it convert all day long. We can put key people in place. We know how to train sales teams. We could train them in light speed 10 times faster than anybody else by far. But there still has to be systems and technology that drive a lot of that. And that's systems. Well, and if you're, you're running a business without some pretty, I don't want to say robust and complicated, but you're going to need to invest time and money into systems that allow you to scale and give you back your time. Well, and the key there is, is predictably scale, right? Because... We have clients who, who will come to us all the time and say, look, I want to spend quarter million dollars a month and I want to do X amount in sales and blah, 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 blah. And, and they're so zoned in on the, the front end leads and sales that, mm-hmm. that we often have to pause them and say, OK, well, but how are you going to fulfill that? Right. And and they and they, and they kind of, you know, don't even really want to think about that part of the business. I, so find, that they, I find that they squirm a lot when you ask that. How will yeah. how will you systemize that much lead flow? And then you just yeah, kind of stop it, and let them talk, right? It, exactly. And it's like, you know, I'll, I'll say to them, for example, you know, in, in, in our agency, you know, only one media buyer can have only four accounts. And then, you know, above that, we have, you know, account managers, strategists, and the account manager can't have more than four media buyers working underneath them in the... And the reason why is we've seen where they're most effective and where um, where that starts to break down if we put too much upon their plate, mm-hmm. right? So when you're looking at your business and all the people that are involved, you know maybe it's the you know the fulfillment side of its manufacturing or maybe it's a sales team, you know because we're talking about sales velocity right now. You know there's things that we just know. We just know a salesperson shouldn't have more than six people booked on their calendar in a day, or else their follow up will suck. You know, we, we know that, 
you know, it, it, there's going to be a 60% show rate. So there's going to be, you know, two calls that won't show. And what are they doing in that timelines? And are they recording their stuff for compliance? And, you know, what is their follow-up process with SMS and email? And, it, it, you know, how do they organize? There, there's so many little moving pieces. And if you don't have those things all in place, you know, everybody's looking at traffic and leads and, and all these things. How do I get more of those? All you're going to do is blow the screws off of your business. Mm-hmm. And set yourself back six months and and hurt your reputation if you don't have proper systems in place to be able to predictably scale. Yeah, it, it, it's 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 like the leaky bucket syndrome, right? You can want all the leads in the world, you can want all the traffic in the world, but if they're coming out the back door, if they're falling out of the holes of a leaky bucket, it's 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 a big problem. And that's lack of systems, right? That's lack of systems. So thinking about what is your 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 infrastructure. What will you run a sales and marketing machine on, right? What yeah, will you, and, right? It's, and mean, those systems are, are designed, and we talk about this all the time, you know, with clients, is entrepreneurials ha- or, or entrepreneurs, I should say, they have, we, they have what we call sometimes the parasite. They just want to cause chaos and break stuff and go a million miles an hour. But every successful business that we've seen scale, the more they make the business boring, the easier it is to run the business, and right? It takes great discipline to do that, by the way. It, it takes does. discipline it's, to not want to blow things up and make things complicated. It takes it's, discipline. It's very counterintuitive. Yeah. I mean, as entrepreneurs, we often, you know, will cause chaos just for no reason because we're, we're trying. I talked to Mike Dillard about this last night. We're trying to get that, that serotonin drop, you know, that we need, you know, that the chaos creates. But at the end of the day, if your business is, is healthy it's really just more leads, more sales, better fulfillment, longer retention. And, and you know, okay, well, if I increase the ad spend this much, then I need to hire this person at this point and this person at this point and this person. This, I know how long it takes to train them, to onboard them, to get them in. I know who I need to hire above them at different you know, spots in revenue. And it just becomes very, very predictable and boring. And you can't build, you know, I've talked to, to many, many people that I know in this industry you can build about a $70,000 a month business on your own. And after that, you have to have people and systems in place or you will kill yourself, you know, at, at that, at that turning point. Yeah, and people are systems, by the way. And we talk about protocols too. It's it systems mean protocols, people, yep. technology, right? One of the reasons why we started a technology company is because that's often a missing piece. That's a void, right? So systems will set you free. Obviously, that's a biggie. Let's go to number six, get maximum value out of your day. So productivity, productivity. Everybody's always thinking in the new year, how can I be more productive? How can I better organize my day and my time? Can I buy new systems for organizing my time, right? Number six dovetails or number five dovetails into number six is right systems for for better productivity but i'll take any day of the week aaron i will take a really organized person like who handles their day well doesn't waste a lot of time that has half the talent of i don't know the harvard grad who just their stuff is everywhere they're in reactive mode all day long they're constantly responding 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 they never shut off they never zone in they don't have any control of their day their day is dictated by what happens to them, not what they make happen to the day. I'll take that guy any day of the week and 10 times on Sunday, right? That understands the value of a day and has a system for managing the day. Over, and you see this all the time, right? 
today with technology and all the distractions as business owners, they just, they wake up in the morning and the first thing they do, it's email, it's Skype, it's Slack, it's, it's, it's almost like they're going into the battlefield and they're getting shot at, right? Right as the day starts, there's no way you can take ownership of the day and be productive and get the maximum value out of your day. If you go into the day in reaction mode, I've taught many seminars on productivity and time management. It was like, like a real a thing for me for a little while because I realized that the, my, the success that I would have in a business or a project was directly tied to the way the day was handled. I think it's John Maxwell that, 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 that has this, this quote. Oh, it's gonna, I don't think I'm going to nail it as he says it, but it's something like, your success is determined by your daily agenda. In fact, that's actually it. Your success is determined by your daily agenda. I like that. Right? I like so that. if you like look at your day, at the end of the day, we're pretty fried a lot of times. You and I talk about, oh man, today I was fried, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, I'm shutting down, I'm fried today. But if we really dissected that day, we probably got a lot done, but we probably also, there were a lot of fires that got put out. We got pulled in a lot of directions. So, you know, had a, had a, a conversation actually, Aaron, with one of our project managers, you had, managers the other day. And he's like, man, I'm getting bombarded by these clients. Cause we do, you know, we do fulfillment services and I'm getting bombarded, bombarded, bombarded. I'm like, listen, this, there's a fix for this, right? This, this is a fixable thing. The reason you're getting bombarded by clients is because you're allowing yourself to get bombarded by clients. So here's what you're going to do starting Monday. I don't even think I told you this. I said, you're going to create a calendar that has two available hours per day to speak to clients. It is going to be from three to 5 PM. That was the time that worked for him, right? So from three to 5 PM, when all these people need you, there's your window. So you've now taken control. They don't get to 911 you. They don't get to just say, hey, can we meet at 12? Oh, gee, I don't know. I'm 12, but I can't do 12, but I can do one. Oh, yeah, one's not good for me. How about 130? You know, let me squeeze you in from 130 to two. Uh, you know what? Now that I think of it, tomorrow's better. That's how most people operate. You now have a calendar link that you give them. And if they need to meet with you, you have 30 minute slots available from three to five. So technically, you can meet with four people in a day, which is a maximum of 10 hours a week. Not nine hours a day, 10 hours in a week. And now we're boxing the needs into the times you're available. He's like, it's infinitely better because now I can work productively and focus from 10 to three or on my stuff and do fulfillment. And then the client needs come at the times I'm available, boxed into my calendar over it. So it's, it's a compartmentalized scenario. And now, I mean, infinitely more productive, Aaron. Right? Versus it, it, reaction, 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 911, 911, 911. The end of the day, you're fried and you don't even know why. Yeah. And one of the things I did, I don't know, a month ago, and it scared the hell out of me, was I turned off all the notifications on my phone. Except for me. It, <laughs> I, I think you still have one portal to me. I think you have, you have Skype to me on my desktop. Better. And some people got annoyed by it, you know? And, and you know, my response was, uh, I need have the time to do the creative things. And if I leave, you know, I mean, think about all the access points people have to us now, Slack, Facebook, it, Instagram, it, Messenger, WhatsApp, text, this, that. It's dangerous, man. It's dangerous. It, and it's just dinging all day yeah. long. And every yeah. time it dings, I feel like this negative response. And, and really all people are saying is, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. That's, that's all that notification is. I and want, here's the I, thing. I, if you I, let and you let and you let and you let, you give an inch, they take a mile. It's just how people are right? Yeah. You, you, again, these are decisions that you make about how you manage your day. You experience it. I've experienced it. We've all made the mistake. We do it subconsciously. We think with all this tech, we're going to be quicker, smoother with our communication. Yes. There's a yes to that to some degree, 
but there's also a big no. And the trade-off is monster lack of creativity, monster lack of zoning in to get projects done that matter and that produce the most revenue. And a lot of times we talk about sales on sales velocity is a lack of time to be having quality conversations that sell your product and service. That's what that leads to, which is really a bad place to end. Yeah. And two more places that I are, you know, pieces of, of advice or wisdom that I've, I've taken along with me is number one, I heard somebody, I can't remember who it was a few years ago who said, anytime I do the same thing three times, I find a way to automate it, which I thought was a really simple way to break something down. And, and obviously, you know, the, the software that we have is, does a remarkable job of, of a lot of that heavy lifting. But, you know, what he did is he actually took a week and everything, every single thing that he did that week, he wrote down on a piece of paper. And then he looked at it at the end of the week and he looked for the things that he did more than three times that now he could automate and he found a way to automate them and clean them up and, and bought his time back. Nice. And, and that was a really powerful exercise. You know, the second thing is, is understanding where you're at right now and then where you want to go and attributing a dollar value to your hourly time, you know, where you're at today, maybe your time based on the revenue of your company or what you pay yourself or whatever is a hundred dollars an hour, right? If you did that same exercise and then you looked at every one of those things and asked yourself, is this a hundred dollar an hour activity? You would be shocked at how, how many, many things- times you say no. Yeah. I mean, you, you, in, in a day, if you did 30 things, you might be able to check box three of them, but that's a hundred dollar an hour activity. And, and so now the goal is to automate or eliminate or, or find somebody to do the non hundred dollar an hour activities that they might be able to do them for $10 an hour yep. or whatever that, that dollar amount is and, and zone in on the area where you are most effective to the bottom line, you know? And, and if you look at the revenue of the, of the company, you know, you're going to know what your time is worth. You know, it might be worth a hundred dollars an hour, it might be $500 an hour, it might be a thousand dollars an hour. You know, you have to ask yourself, is this a thousand dollar use of my time right now? And if the answer is no, really, you got really good exercise to do going into a new year too. So if you look at your revenue from the current year, you can, that's how you can back these numbers out. So if you're at X amount in 2020 and you want to, let's say triple that revenue, big goals, you want to triple the revenue in 2021 and you break that out by six, eight, nine hours a day, cause you're not going to be working all those hours, right? But if you take your productive hours, it's probably going to be somewhere in that neighborhood and you do that math. You're like, Oh my gosh, my time for me to be that kind of an income earner, my time is going to need to be worth this. Immediately, you're going to be like, I can't do that, that, and that anymore. So I'll take it one step further, Aaron. I always tell business owners, because we have a VA service now internally within our company. So now I say, listen, if you're not sure if this is for you, a VA or a team member or a salesperson, just take a week and go through all the things you make a list of what you hate to do. All the things that piss you off and drain your energy, make that list. All right. Yeah, cool. That's a good idea. People come back to me when I do I, literally every single time they go, oh my God, I, that thing you told me to do making that list. I can't even believe some of the crap that I do that I don't even realize I do that I hate to do that really doesn't lead me anywhere. And it's like, man, that is how you get the maximum value out of your days. You figure out what are you hanging on to unconsciously that really isn't moving the needle much. And you, like you said, you sub that out and you get a value for that time. So if you waste that hour or if you hang out and on social media for an hour, you go, well, I just wasted 400 bucks an hour. That's what I was worth. So how do you feel about that? 
right? Yeah. I just Productivity, I man, is an episode within itself. I mean, I don't know. I think we're doing one. I, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think we're, we've committed to doing by the end of the year. I don't know if it was productivity slash hacks for getting the most energy as a business owner into your right. Well, you have to play with the titling of that, but I think it's next week or the week after, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, right, absolutely. Need, we, we you need, are your most valuable asset. So make sure you treat yourself accordingly. Exactly. So let's go to number seven here, which is build a powerful support network. No brainer. Save the best for last. Good luck on an island, right? Building a support network is coaching, consulting, mastermind groups. That's what it is. And if you choose to do it all yourself, don't invest in training. Don't invest in coaching. Don't invest in people. Don't invest in expert advice to save, to turn 10 months into one month. I mean, that is a heck of a decision to make. It's almost like you're saying, I want this to take a long time. I'd rather this be tough than easy. Yeah, it, it, one of the things that, that I've been doing for a few years now is, and it's not a lot, you know, but once a week I look into, you know, my, my friends list, my business friends list. And I just shoot them a message and say, Hey man, let's catch up. No agenda. Just want to see how you're doing. Right. And I'll get on a zoom with them or whatever, find out what's going on with their family, with their kids, with their business, whatever. And, and I, t and it's funny, like right, right when we start the call, I just tell them I don't have an agenda. I'm not calling for anything in particular. Yeah. You know, I'm just, I'm just catching up. want to see how you're doing. And, and it's funny when I, when I say that, it's almost like the resistance comes down. Like I'm not calling to, to pitch you something or, you know, uh, try and, try and establish some type Joint of venture. Or, what are we going to do yeah. a deal or right? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I literally have no agenda. So let's catch up. Tell me what's going on. And I, I've been doing that once a week for a few years now. And it's amazing the, the reciprocity that that creates. You know, my wife always says to our kids, if you want to have good friends, you have to be a good friend. It's great advice. And, you know, and, and that means you've got to put in the work. You've got to reach out to them. You've got to make sure that, that they know you're there, that, that you're there to support them, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, and that always comes back around. It always does. You know, maybe they got a good deal that they want to bring to you one time. Maybe, maybe they've got a, a, a client they can't handle or somebody says, hey, you know, we're having trouble scaling, you know, the, the spend on our offer. And they're like, hey, you got to talk to to my boy. Right. And and it's just investing in that without the expectation of something in return consistently over time. It, it, it reminds me of one of the things that my dad said to me when I was really, really young. He said, your net worth will be de determined by your network. I've been hearing you say that for 12 years. Yeah, it's so true. So true. Worth saying again, your net worth will be determined by your network. So as you go into a new year, are you building the relationships, right? Are you building the support network? Are you investing in the coaching and the consulting in the, I always say investing in coaching and consulting is buying speed, right? You're buying speed. You're taking someone's expertise and you're saying, okay, I got a six month window on this project, but with that guy or that girl's help, my six months becomes two. What a difference, my God, to take a two-month win, to take a six-month win down to two. What, I mean, how do you put a price tag on that? Well, and, and we're kind of talking about two different things, so it's important to give clarity there, right? There's, there's your organic network, 
and the people that your organic network could introduce you to if you want to get to know them because it's always easier to get an introduction from somebody who knows you. And then there's what we call uh, pay-to-play networks. Yeah, yeah, good point. Right? Good, good distinction. You could you could chop number seven into two. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it was Grant Cardone said like one of the most valuable things in the world is pay-to-play networks, right? And you see these pay-to-play networks all the time. They're masterminds. Yeah. They're they're one-off consultants or coaches. They are. I mean, the the, the networks that have been around forever. I mean, think of some of the old huge ones like Rotary and like something. There's a reason why people are part of those things. They they give them access to other people they wouldn't otherwise yeah. know, and that creates synergies and relationships. And you know, t- so much business is done. I mean, the the networks that that the biggest players in the world are a part of. You know, the EOs and yep. you know all of those BNI and all those yeah, yeah entrepreneur the, networks, the private and, ones. You know, yeah. all, all of those. It's just more access. It's more access to decision makers, to education, and like you said, what does that do? It's just speed. Yeah, you're just buying, and and you're buying someone else's experience so that you can avoid oftentimes the mistakes that they made that they can help you to avoid. I mean, by not doing this like this, let's recap this, right? But let's look at number seven. By not committing to a support network in the two ways that we mentioned, you're basically saying, you know, I don't want to hack this thing. I'm perfectly fine with it taking long. I'm okay with slow, not fast. And I'm perfectly fine making a shitload of mistakes and learning from no ones. So like, right. It, you know, the, 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 effect of not committing to what you do once a day or whatever it was, or not investing in coaching or consulting, like you said, it's, it's a, that's a, that's almost an irresponsible decision. If you're looking to grow a profit in a business, you're literally saying, I hate money. <laughs> So to recap these, everybody, again, we went off path. This isn't, you know, a webinar here. We normally are in show mode, but I figured, hey, listen, let's pattern interrupt this a little bit for the new year. Define a clear message. Target the right market, number two. Use the right direct response, media, number three. We really tied those together well, I thought. Rule number four, think Steve Jobs, right? Think like an entrepreneur. Keep the business entrepreneurial. Number five, create effective systems. Systems will set you free. Number six, get maximum value out of your day. And number seven, of course, build a powerful support network and uh, write that down, right? If you can, write that down. Put it somewhere where if I could ever get back to us, that would be great. There we go. Put that somewhere where you can see it. It's been a framework of mine. I feel like if I get stuck in certain areas, sometimes one of those seven is lacking, right? One of those seven, maybe I'm not all in on or I've, Missed the mark, right? You know, you, you look at these little pillars, if you will, and uh, they're good to come back to. They're fundamental. And I think this will help you dramatically as we go into a new year and you figure out, hey, here's some shifts I want to make, but here's a framework for making them that will keep me organized and not have me veering off in a hundred different paths. Any final thoughts, um, Superman? Uh, no, I, I, I just, I love doing these calls on Friday and you know, I think it's always great that, that there's two of us here because we can kinda... You know what my favorite part about you saying that is? We are so old school that you call our show and our podcast a call. I love doing these calls. I've caught that the last couple episodes. Like, man, this is how old we are. Is we've been doing conference calls and one too many sales calls. And we've trained sales teams back in the day. And it, it was all about the call. And there are no calls show. anymore. Now there's show. Zooms. And, and, and there's sessions and there's webinars and there's being on stage about eventually we'll get back there right in the, in the new year, right? The whole stage things, 
But I don't think people will do on calls anymore. But I want you to keep calling it a call because I no, think that see, you now, keep calling you it a call. It, I feel like it. I, I hold on to my past a little bit. I'm never going to call it again. It's going to be a show. <laughs> I almost wish I didn't bring it to your attention. <laughs> now, well, maybe it's a deservability issue. Yeah. Like, I can't have a show. Who am I to have a show? Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, you know? But, but you so, call it a call. Show, I think it's. I think it's. I think it's. It's cool that you do that. It's just. But, but it, you know, it just shows the longevity of, in, in the game, right? We've been around pre-internet and post-internet, and I think that longevity is a. Uh, you know, is an important thing to come back to. I always like to balance old school versus new school. I talk about it in my book quite a bit, old school versus new school. If you don't blend the two, you're sort of missing certain elements of a quality sales process, right? Agreed. So, hey, listen, um, two weeks left to 2020, whenever you may be listening to this, the information is relevant regardless of the fact that at the time of the show here, we're going into what may be the most anticipated new year in the history of mankind, which is the new year of 2021, but two weeks left. And yeah, I want to, I want to, I want to tackle that topic we talked about a little while back, which is what are some of the ways that you can show up physically with more energy, mentally with more energy so that you can get the most productivity that you can out of a day or even maybe half the time, right? That, that I think is, and I have a lot of I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of like, what, what are those guys out there? Those biohacker guys like, like Dave Asprey. I follow a lot. I like him a lot. He's, he's like, a, he's like the, the hacker guy I follow the most. Right. And he's always figuring out how do I optimize me? And I love that. He's just always treating himself like a science experiment, optimizing me. And I take so much from him, but let's share some of the stuff that we and you and I do, because I think it all leads to, if you can have the right type of energy, in the right type of mindset, you will, you, will, you will be so enthusiastic and you will be so attractive when you go to sell, when you go to present, when you go to do a webinar, when you go to do a pitch, right? And if you want to sell more, you're going to need a certain kind of energy that's contagious because the saying is in sales, people will buy your energy more than they'll buy your expertise all day long, right? They're looking for somebody who can be an energetic, charismatic leader, not somebody who just shows up with dead energy and just goes through the motions. So let's Let's tackle that in the weeks ahead by title. Give me a week to think about the title, but we'll do that in the next one to two weeks. What do you think? I think we do it next week. All right. Fair enough. I'll commit to that. I'll commit to that. We'll play around with, uh, I got to dig into my, my, my treasure box of hacks, but let's do it. Let's well, do it. So we'll wrap this one, one here. We'll wrap this one here. Uh, always right. a pleasure doing this call with you, my friend. I really <laughs> love this conference call that we're on. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> But hey, always a pleasure. That's Aaron Parkinson. This is Andrew Cass. This episode of Sales Velocity TV uh, is a wrap. Look forward to seeing you on the next one. Download the show on Apple, on Google Play, on Stitcher, on Pandora. Listen on the go. It's sometimes different, right, to, to just be listening on the go versus watching in one set spot. You Sometimes it's like watching a movie two times. You catch something that you missed the first time around. So we hope to see you on the radio version, but we'll see you on next episode of Sales Velocity TV over and out. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Sales Velocity TV is powered by Pipeline Pro, the ultimate all-in-one sales pipeline management and marketing automation platform that makes all others obsolete. And we can prove it. Take a tour at gopipelinepro.com. See you on the next episode.